0: Hey everyone, Craig Schaub here with the Ohioan Podcast, and this is a Weekend Review. This week we're going to be looking at uh, three completely different uh, type of uh, shows. We have a, a docu-series, a sketch comedy show, and one of the best science fiction films in the last 25 years. Let's get it going. This is an Ohioan Weekend Review. So we're going to start first today with the documentary series, a three-part series, Sasquatch, which you can find right now on Hulu. It just released on uh, April 20th. It is a very interesting documentary starting off as sort of a hunt for Sasquatch and quickly, by the end of the third episode, turns into a very intriguing murder mystery. The The, the series follows uh, investigative journalist David Holdhouse as he attempts to solve what essentially was a 25-year mystery of a triple homicide that was believed maybe to have been committed by the mythical creature Sasquatch. Now, whether you believe in Sasquatch or not, you have to kind of be intrigued when you hear about the fact that there's a show called Sasquatch and it's going to delve into this uh, tri- this really gruesome triple homicide of uh, three Hispanic workers who were uh, murdered in a... Uh, marijuana growth farm uh, up in Northern California in the 1990s and specifically 1993. Uh, Holdhouse was actually there at the time uh, as a worker. And when he was there with one of his friends, a couple of guys came in. They they talked about how they found these three men that were just brutally murdered, pulled apart, essentially. And they said that Bigfoot did it. So that obviously piqued the interest of David Holdhouse, the investigative journalist. But 25 years later, he sets out on a journey to try to solve this case because after 25 years, there still uh, has not been a uh, you know any kind of a lead in the case of who killed these three men on the uh, you know the marijuana farms. But what this documentary really does well is it pulls you in early on with the idea of this mythical creature you know killing people and then it slowly goes from sort of a fantasy element to a very hardened crime drama almost where we're trying to solve the mysteries of who may be murdered these three men and what this documentary really does a nice job of is they tell the story of Northern California as it sort of explodes in that redwood area of Northern California explodes into a marijuana haven where the growth is just amazing um, where people can make a huge living growing marijuana year round. And then of course, you know, we get into some of the war on drugs, um, that go throughout the 80s and the 90s, and specifically the war on marijuana and the, and the war on all of these, uh, you know, government agencies trying to get in and, and take out the marijuana growers. And it really talks a lot about the the markets that were set with this marijuana growth. So at first it was sort of the free form, the, the hippies that are kind of retiring to the freedom of the land. And then they start growing marijuana because it's so bountiful and, and easy to grow there and it grows well and you know, obviously they're selling it and, and then making a profit, but then we see a lot of um, nefarious uh, people come into the region, start growing. The market is really exploding here in the 80s and in the early 90s, specifically, right where around the story kind of takes place where Whole House is researching. And one of the things that we we get introduced to is sort of the racial element to Northern California in this area. Where Hispanics are coming up there to to work and make a better life for themselves, maybe send back money uh, to their families in their native country. And we see a lot of uh, older white people who have been been on the land not take too kindly to sort of this, uh, you know, not be inclusive to these people as they work the fields. And then, of course, you know, try to become growers themselves in this really cutthroat market. And that's where this murder seems to centralize around is this racial element, this racial insensitivity of some of the people up there in the Northern California area. And Holdhouse takes us on this journey as he's trying to figure out, could it be possible that Bigfoot, a Sasquatch has actually existed or does exist in this area? And is it possible that maybe the Sasquatch killed these three Hispanic men, and maybe others, as we are uh, sort of opened up our eyes into this Northern California problem with a lot of murders and a lot of unsolved mysteries that go on on Spy Rock Road up in Northern California, in the Northwest uh, California area. Uh, you know, Holdhouse is a is a really dogged reporter in this in this film, as he reaches out to people he's never heard of, informants. He develops sources. And at the end of the day, he really does kind of come to some conclusions, I think, of maybe who killed these three men. And it may not be something that you kind of expect. It, it's a little bit of a twist, if you will, although it's not necessarily a big twist ending like you would see in a, in a major movie. But it's something that you maybe expected but didn't understand why until they explained some things Um that uh, really kind of tie this home and make it a really gripping documentary series. It's uh, three parts right now on Hulu. The first couple of parts are are literally only about 45 minutes, and then last part's about 52 minutes. So realistically, you're spending less than two hours on this, you know, three-part series, and I think it's well worth your time. I will say, you know, I, when I first started watching it, and the first episode ended, I kind of thought to myself, "Wow, you know, they made it, maybe they should have just made this a feature-length documentary, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it needed to be, instead of dividing it up into three parts." But as you watch the the, the series, I really think it makes a lot of sense to break it apart into three separate stories because it really is. Three different narratives in some ways. Now, uh, one of the things that the movie does do is it does follow Holthouse along as he talks to various people. The camera crews obviously talk to various Bigfoot hunters and you know Bigfoot scholars, and we we get sort of um, you know pros and cons for you know do Bigfoots slash Sasquatch really exist? And at the end of the day, it's it's kind of allowing you to make up your own mind, but. In the heart of all of this mythology you get a really down-to-earth murder mystery that this journalist is sort of on a quest to solve Uh, i will say that you know it it maybe fails to reach that perfection level for me because it does leave one maybe loose end story that you could probably tie up on your own uh, but it does leave one sort of loose end story that didn't really, you know, match. It didn't really get a re- resolution to it after we discover the resolution of the actual triple homicide. So uh, I do have to say, though, a huge recommendation for Sasquatch, the TV miniseries. I am giving this three and a half stars out of four. So go out and see. This is on Hulu right now. It just released on April 20th. It is well worth the less than two hours of your time that you have to invest. Now, Moving along in probably maybe a a completely different avenue here is a sketch comedy show, a black lady sketch show. Um, And right now you can stream the first season and the first episode of season two, which just released on April 23rd. But I'm telling you, this show is consistently funny throughout. I'm giving you an update on season one as we get into season two and One thing that I really enjoy about this show and it's, uh, you know, star Robin Thede is they, they bring in a lot of great guest stars. They have different sketch shows, but they also have one sort of central story that they sort of follow throughout the season. Uh, that you know, consistently gets funny over and over again. Sometimes on sketch shows, I think the fear is is that sometimes the, uh, the running sketches or the running gags will get a little bit overwhelming and you're just a little bit too much and you don't like it. But in this case, uh, it's sort of an end of the world theme where these women are stuck with stuck with each other inside a home as the world is sort of destroyed. And each episode, we sort of get a little glimpse into that life and how things work and, you know, the, the fights and the bickering and, and everything that kind of come with that. And it's a really funny funny show overall. Robin Thede does a terrific job of sort of leading the cast, if you will. But this is really a multi-layered cast of, of great, talented actresses. Uh, not just Robin Thede, but Gabrielle Dennis, Ashley Nicole Black, Quinta Brunson. All through, all four of those women just do a stellar job with ver- playing various characters. And of course, they do have um, you know, guest stars as most sketch comedy shows you would come to expect. Angela Bassett makes a cameo early on in this series. Uh, Issa Rae from Insecure also um, is someone you may uh, you may know. Phil Lamar, a great talented comedian, also in there. Nicole Byer, David Allen Greer. So they really you know they they really spared no expense to bring in great stars. Uh, this is a, a terrific a terrific fun show. Uh, It was nominated for three Emmys uh, last year, and it's really well worth your time. I would say that, um, you know, for some people, maybe the jokes you might not get because, you know, there's sometimes they can be really niche and inside jokes. But um, at the end of the day, it's consistently funny. The actresses really commit to each character they play, whether they're playing just a normal, everyday Los Angeles, Californian or if they're playing like a princess or whatever it may be, they do a great job of telling a fun story in a short amount of time. Uh, Highly recommend a black lady sketch show. I am giving it three and a half stars. Definitely go out and watch it. Uh, Like I said, season one, you can currently watch on HBO Max. Season two just kicked off on, on April 23rd, and you can watch that next day on HBO Max if you do not have a cable subscription to HBO to watch it live. But definitely well worth your time to see uh, just a talented, talented cast of actresses go to work and have a lot of fun on screen while bringing a lot of joy to yourself when you get to watch it as well. So like I said, three and a half stars for a Black Lady Sketch Show. Now, as I uh, like to do here each week, I like to highlight something free in our free stream section. Not everybody can afford to you know, pay for subscriptions to streaming services. Some people may ha- or may not have cut the cord on cable, but each week I like to try to look at something that you can stream for free, albeit with ads in all likelihood, but something definitely worth your time. And what I chose this week was the 2002 Masterpiece Minority Report. Now, this is a uh, Tom Cruise-Steven Spielberg partnership. Really, I think, kind of an underrated film from 2002, and also from that last from that decade, you can currently watch this for free on Pluto TV on demand. Or if you do have paid subscriptions, you can also watch Minority Report uh, currently on Paramount Plus. Either way, you can watch it. I definitely suggest you uh, you watch this. It's uh, adapted from a short story uh, from Philip K. Dick, a, a famous science fiction writer. Uh, basically, this film tells the story of a future where police are able to arrest murderers before they commit crimes. Uh, they have precogs that uh, look into the future and can see when people are getting ready to commit crimes. A wooden ball is ejected into a machine and they pick it out and they see the name and then they can go arrest that person uh, to prevent the crime. So the what the film really kind of does though, is it talks about, you know, is it okay to do this? Is pre-crime, which is what this is called, is it really worth it? Is it really something that we should, you know, invest in? Is it something that really makes sense? It really asks tough questions about morality and ethics. And I think what Steven Spielberg does here, and this is really one of his better films, uh, this film in Munich, probably two of his best films in the last 25, 30 years, or at least two of my favorites anyway. Um, It's, It's part science fiction, high wire action epic, but then it's also grounded in this very interesting tale of morality and whether or not if we had access to technology like this, would we want to be able to do this? Because in the film, Tom Cruise, who plays sort of the lead uh, detective in the uh, Washington DC pre-crime unit, is essentially framed for murder. And unfortunately, the way the... The bad guys sort of frame him as it makes the precog, um, you know, future tellers believe that it's actually happening and that he's going to kill this man. And for Cruz, then he goes from being the pre-crime leader to being on the run. And it just tells a really gorgeous looking action set, you know, set pieces. Uh, As I said, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, as far as action stars go, it's tough to beat Tom Cruise in an action film, because he can tell the story, he can do the physicality, and they do it well, and Steven Spielberg, of course, does this very well, working from a Scott Frank screenplay, Uh, like I said, a very underrated film, I think, you know, it did generate an Oscar nomination, but this is a, the type of film that really, I think, was was really overlooked, only nominated in sound editing, you know, back in 2000, at the 2003 Oscars, really kind of a slap in the face to me, uh, given the great visual effects, the beautiful cinematography, not to mention the great storytelling in the screenplay, and of course, the Best Picture, it should have been a nominee for Best Picture, in my opinion. Uh, this was a movie that also made my uh, top 10 of the decade list from the 2000s, it's a extremely entertaining film, but also grounded with a great story. So as I said before, you can see this for free on Pluto TV, or you, if you have a subscription, you can watch it on Paramount Plus without commercials, or unless you have the commercial uh, free, the commercial experience, Paramount Plus. Either way, you can watch it. I highly recommend you do. I am giving Minority Report four stars out of four this is Craig Shop with the Ohioan podcast, and these have been your Ohioan weekend reviews. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Ohioan podcast. Uh, Craig Shop here, uh, and I'm joined by Bob Garver, Bob, our New York City film critic. Happy Monday! Happy Monday! Monday after the Oscars, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, first, we're going to talk about some movies as we normally do here. Uh, The first one is a reboot of the Mortal Kombat franchise. Of course, the first movie in 1995 uh, probably shows a little bit of its age. Uh, Here we have a 2021 reboot you can see in theaters or on HBO Max for uh, 30 days. What did you think about Mortal Kombat, the R-rated, blood-and-guts Mortal Kombat, Bob? It was not
1: as R-rated and and blood-and-guts as the advertising would have you believed.
0: Okay. Uh, anything stand out about if this anything, movie? If anything, if
1: anything, it was too tame because okay. it, uh, it it held back on on violence when it really should have let loose. Um, sure. There was there was one scene involving the character uh, Kung Lao's hat uh, that was in keeping with the spirit that I wanted to um, that I wanted the the movie to uh, retain from the video game. But aside from that, it was surprisingly, this is a surprisingly uh, boring, lifeless movie. Um, Now there is a character uh, on the good guy's side named Kano played by Josh Lawson and a character on the bad guy's side uh, voiced by Damon um, Harriman uh, named Cabal. And they brought a lot of life to the movie. I'm I'm not, uh, I'm not trashing them. I think there are a lot of people's (laughs) favorite characters in this movie. But this was not this was not the movie that was able to, to let loose the way that it either thought it was or
2: claimed it was.
0: You know, uh, do you have to be a fan of the Mortal Kombat games or pre, you know the previous movie to to kind of appreciate this? or can you go in just kind of absorbing what it is and you know make up your decision based on just it, it, what it, how it does standing alone as its own movie?
1: Um, I think you need to know something about the background of the characters. Um, yeah, you, you need to, you need to go in, uh, knowing who the characters are. Cause when they, when they say their names, it's supposed to get a reaction.
0: Sure. And did you have any kind of positive reaction? I mean, you know, in a movie like this, you're, you're maybe expecting some unique kills, much like you would get some over the top kills in the video game. Did that deliver at least for the for the in this movie?
1: It del- it delivered in exactly one scene and not a lot of others. Okay, I was really let down in that department.
0: Okay, so a little bit disappointing overall. Do you have uh, an overall score or overall grade D. for this movie? I'm
1: giving this, I'm giving this movie a D. Okay, uh, Kano Kano is great. Cabal is great. One scene is great, and. Aside from that, it is a lousy movie.
0: Ooh, okay, well, it sounds pretty brutal. I might have to check it out on HBO Max. But no, uh, that's the
1: problem. It's not brutal enough.
0: Okay, well, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go R-rated, you might as well go over the top R-rated. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like they did that. Okay, all right, Bob. Well, a D for Mortal Kombat. So maybe you might want to skip that or find something different. Uh, there may be something else here. What about uh, this next movie? Um, Demon Slayer the movie uh, Tell us a little bit about this movie
1: Okay now I should start off By saying that anime Is, is not my genre uh, okay. Especially joining this uh, Series apparently in the middle This okay. is uh, such and such A uh, I think TV show the uh, movie So, so I'm, not, I'm not familiar with these characters I was coming in very much blind uh, So that may have affected my opinion Of the movie Um, that said, I thought it really dragged. I thought the characters, um, talked too much. And even some of the fight sequences, um, seemed to have run their course and they, they kept going somewhat to their detriment.
0: Okay. Now this is a, an anime film. So what about the voice acting? Anything stand out as far as the voice cast goes? And was it just kind of, Mundane by the books anime, or you know, was it at least interesting to look at? Maybe interesting to hear.
1: Um, I saw the um, the subtitled version. Uh, okay. I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't make, make a lot uh, out of uh, out of the voice acting from sure. the uh, clearly uh, Japanese actors. Uh, but clearly a lot of passion was delivered, was uh, put into a lot of lines toward the end.
0: So, you know, is it harder, you know, maybe to judge this movie? Does it maybe score a little bit less because you, you are, like you said, kind of jumping into the middle of it or just as a standalone film, Didn't it sounded like you didn't really like it to begin with anyway.
1: Uh, that's, that's pretty much true. I'm, I'm giving it a C minus, but um, I mean, t- take that from, from the source, I mean, I liked Mortal Kombat going in. I had no opinion on on this going in. Sure. Um, I will say this movie made, um, I I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but this movie made, I believe 19 million to uh, Mortal Kombat's like 22 million. Right. uh, Which is very impressive considering I'd never heard of this property before. Sure. And it's uh, playing on barely half the screens as Mortal Kombat. Frankly, I would have liked to have seen an upset at the box office, okay? Because uh, it, it would have been uh, it, it would have been interesting, but give us something to uh, to really talk about. It might have even represented a, uh, a surge for uh, for anime properties in general going forward. Sure.
0: Um, do you think this is, um, you know, having watched this film and, and, you know, maybe getting a chance to explore this world for the first time, are you getting, are you interested in maybe looking at some of the other properties involved with this, or are you just kind of a, a one-off you've seen the film and now you're moving on?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to continue with this property, but it makes a good effort, I suppose.
0: Okay. All right, Bob. So, uh, we've talked about the movies. So let's get into the Oscars. I'm sure you probably have quite a bit to say. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll I'll let you start. Overall, maybe we can talk a little bit about the telecast um, and then also some of the huge surprises. But what was your overall impression of the telecast from start to finish?
1: Well, uh, clearly this was a ceremony set at a very important moment in time. And uh, it skewed very much toward the uh, serious slash respectable side uh, for the majority of the ceremony. It started to get kind of weird toward the end, uh, especially with that uh, completely unnecessary uh, bit where the uh, I didn't catch the gentleman's name, but uh, he was playing a game with the celebrities in the audience right. where they had to guess uh, if, a, if a certain song that was being played um was an Oscar winner nominee or not nominated and uh, I think that could have been cut from the ceremony I would have much rather seen the nominated songs performed uh, apparently they were performed on the show's pre-show
0: yeah
1: and uh, I did not I did not see that and I did watch uh, ABC I believe it was ABC's version of the pre-show uh, so I don't know where those where those songs were okay because I was looking forward to seeing them I did not see a single performance
0: yeah I, I have to agree with you the 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 filler i mean essentially it's filler space which I'm, I'm not sure why they they felt like with a broadcast that usually goes three and a half hours or three at least three hours but usually three and a half to more hours i kind of felt like the the idea of having these songs just as a filler you know guess the song if it was nominated or not or won an oscar just seemed out of place um but what did you think about the opener when regina king is coming in um, sort of like in a heist movie almost where she's taking the Oscar. And that seemed like it was kind of a refreshing opener for an Oscar ceremony. I,
1: I wish they had done more with that. I wish they had right. uh, let it go a little bit longer. Uh, the, the ceremony was directed by uh, Steven Soderbergh. Right. Who directed the, uh, the oceans number here movies. Uh, so I can see why they included a sequence like that, but it was, it was too brief by the time I made the connection, uh, the the segment was over.
0: Sure. Yeah. It wasn't a bad opener. It was something different, new, which was nice, you know, as opposed to sort of the, whether it could be a, you know, an opening long monologue or, you know, maybe a bunch of comedy or whatever it may be. So it was kind of refreshing to have sort of a movie opener for a movie awards show. Um, but I think you're like, you're, you're right though. It kind of comes and goes very quickly. Uh, and then they get right into the show. Um, Format in the show obviously was going to be different because of COVID and you can't really do the sort of the, the normal things. But there were a couple of things that stood out to me, and I want to get your opinion on this. The first big thing that stood out and that was kind of jarring was Best Picture was announced around 9 p.m., which, you know, if you're an early bed person, that might not be a bad thing. But Or I'm sorry, Best Director, I'm sorry. Best Director was announced at that time and you're normally that's the second to last award that's announced on the oscars show what was your thoughts sort of on the format change and and maybe it was inspired by soderbergh's choices of, of maybe working with the tv element versus wanting to keep interest from viewers what was your thoughts on having best director announced so soon
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, much much too early on uh the best director oscar because best director is indicative of best pictures so essentially it served as a spoiler of best picture.
0: Sure. And then obviously the, the next biggest thing, which kind of was so surprising was the format change at the very end, where we get best picture was third to last, as opposed to last on the show. And like you said, the spoil that it might've been spoiled already with, you know, the, the best director award earlier in the night, but in this case, they go best director or best picture, then best actress, and then best actor to close out the show. Now, my thought was the reason why they closed out Best Actor as a from a production side is they figured there was going to be a certain winner of Best Actor, and they <laughs> wanted it to sort of be a, a celebratory victory, and that being, of course, Chadwick Bozeman, who, of course, passed away last year from cancer, but that wasn't to be. So I'm kind of wondering, do you think that Steven Soderbergh had a, the production in mind and saying it's likely the voters are going to skew towards Chadwick Boseman. So let's have him come on, you know, let's have his widow come on last to accept the award. And then all of a sudden the Academy throws this big swerve and Anthony Hopkins wins best actor for the father. What were your thoughts on that, on how the production kind of laid out there at the end?
1: Simply put, that was one of the most anticlimactic endings to an Oscar ceremony ever. Uh, Not only was best picture buried Third to last. But then there was that huge swerve with Best Actor, and there was no reason to have that award on last unless you were going to give it to Chadwick Boseman. Poor Walking Phoenix um, had to deliver what was, I don't want to say objectively bad news because Anthony Hopkins does give an excellent performance in The Father, but this was not the note that, that anybody wanted the ceremony to end on.
0: How surprised were you? I mean, I, I'm still stunned. 100% surprised. With, because I think most people believed Bozeman was going to win anyway. Whether they announced that award at 8 p.m. or 9.30 or 11 o'clock... I think most people believe Bozeman, it was his award to win, not just because it was a posthumous award to kind of, you know, award this man who had passed away, but because he gave a great performance. So most people thought it's it's his to lose. And then, you know, we know Anthony Hopkins is a legend and not, this is nothing against Anthony Hopkins. It certainly is not his fault. But how, I mean, are you? is this, out of all the things that we've seen at the Oscars, whether it's you know green book winning best picture when a lot of people didn't couldn't understand why or you know the the gaff with you know announcing uh, la la land over moonlight where does this kind of rank in sort of the pantheon of, of biggest flubs whether it's a mistake made on stage or just the academy messing up
1: i mean it's not it's not technically a mistake so i right. can't i i can't i can't get as mad about it as 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 the, la la land moonlight business, but um, the the comment I made on Facebook, and and I know you saw that I wrote this. This was this was possibly even more wrong than the time they literally got it wrong. <laughs> right.
0: right. I mean, would would it have been different if on a best would it have been different though if Best Actor was announced when it normally is, which is usually third to last? Would it would it would the would the air out of the sale come out as much had it been announced before Best Director and before Best Picture? Or does it matter because of the because of what everybody expected was going to happen?
1: Air air was going to come out of the sale, but it it would have seemed like a like a more um respectable decision to just not not play with its position in the ceremony
0: right now obviously there was some the the biggest i think the next biggest thing for me that was really strange was how they presented the awards um you know and in years past they've done this where they've talked about each individual person you know whether it be an actor and just oh you know this is who i worked with and they're a great actor actress whatever but this time around instead of showing clips for all of these uh, awards they showed clips for certain ones and not for others. A prime example is they did not show clips leading into the awards for visual effects, production design, cinematography. Those are three categories right there that you would expect the Oscars to show a clip of, hey this is why this is nominated for best visual effects or best Production design or cinematography, and they and yet they didn't. But then they showed some clips for other things. Did that make sense to you at all? I was I was
1: very disappointed by the uh, lack of clips or some sort of uh, visual representation. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see the um, uh, sketches of say the costume designer's work, right. Uh, right? And I'm and I'm I'm fine with that, but uh, to just to just talk about the work uh, I was not uh, was not pleased. I think, uh, especially in a year where a lot of the nominees were not seen or even able to be seen by the majority of Americans, uh, some sort of visual representation was necessary there.
0: Right
1: now, there was there was uh, one decision that was uh, considered controversial by many that I actually uh, do support, and that was the decision to not play anybody off in the middle of their speeches, I think people should be allowed to enjoy these moments and uh, say their message, say their truth without uh, fear of being cut off. And I'm very supportive of that. And I'm glad that nobody was cut off this year.
0: Yeah, it seemed like it was the first time that people were able to kind of, you know, freewheeled a little bit on stage and not have to fear their mic getting muted or, you know, of course, the orchestra playing into a crescendo of, not allowing you to be heard, but uh, you know there were a couple of, and I don't know, you know. Sometimes I get into the into the speeches, and sometimes I just let's move on to the next award. Uh, I think out of the out of everybody that took home a statue, Daniel Kaluuya, his uh, speech was was very interesting. I mean, he had, at one point had thanked his mom and dad for having sex. What did you think about? Did any speech stand out? Of course, uh, you know Brad Pitt got hit on as well. Uh, what did What did you think about the I, speech? I told you,
1: her, I told you, her speech would be a scene stealer. That was I right. think maybe one of the largest reasons why why she won, why that actress won. But uh, what did, what did yeah, you probably think could have dad? done without that specific <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya comment, but he's, you know, that's that's his sense of humor, and I'll I'll let him have that. Yeah.
0: He was definitely fired up. It was a it was a very impassioned speech. It was just funny that and of course they had the the perfect cutaway to his mom and sister that are, uh, you know, watching. I, I believe it was probably overseas. Um, and, and of course, she's kind of wondering, you know, what is her son saying on live TV? But uh, very interesting. It was sort of, you know, in, in some ways the, the telecast was fine. And then in some ways it was sort of uneven and just weird. What were your overall impressions about the telecast? Did you like it this way? Are you hoping to go back to more of the traditional Oscars next year? I mean, maybe definitely a hoping bit of for a
1: for a return to tradition next year. Uh, not only because of some of the specific decisions that were made this year, but also because that'll just be part of things getting back to normal.
0: Yeah. So, I almost I know I know a lot of people are probably going to give Steven Soderbergh a lot of flack for the production of the show, as far as when the awards were announced, and and I do agree that, you know, Best Director was way too early, but I also think they were trying to have bigger awards at certain time periods, because that's when people are watching TV, so I can understand the decision. I just think he he gave the Academy a layup, honestly, by having Best Actor go on last, and the Academy totally just botched it you know, and again, this isn't a hate hatred on Anthony Hopkins, but you can tell Soderbergh had that category on last for a reason. And yet the Academy does not, uh, you know, does not come through. Is this more, you know, we, we talked about diversity the last several years about the Oscars. Everybody has talked about it. Oscars so white this time we saw quite a bit of diversity. We had uh, makeup and hairstyling, you know, Chloe Zhao won for best director Speaking of
1: makeup and hairstyling, I believe that was the uh, one Oscar won by Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.
0: Yeah, they won two. They won uh, costume as well. I, I okay,
1: yes, you're yeah. right. They did. But the
0: the the in the makeup and hairstyling was the first ever won by a black woman, so it was kind of a unique victory, a historic victory there. But then we we talk about we you know everybody's talked about it for years the diversity in the Oscars, and then we get to these final two awards where it was almost not maybe a certainty that Viola Davis would win, but she was a strong contender along with Francis McDormand and Carrie Mulligan and Viola Davis loses. But then Chadwick Boseman who was expected to win ends up losing. And a lot of people are kind of left a little bit deflated thinking that we're promoting diversity among the Academy. And yet the Academy goes for what they normally kind of go for is the quote unquote, Old white woman and old white man winning the awards. So what were your thoughts on the diversity this year? Well, I was in
1: no way surprised that that Frances McDormand won Best Actress if Nomadland was going to win Best Picture. Right. That, that movie and her performance are are in are linked. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 no surprise there. And then and then Mulligan was a strong contender as well. So I right. can't say I was shocked that. That, uh, that Davis didn't didn't win there, uh, but then you get into Best Actor, and that is just the epitome of d- choosing the old white guy over over the over the um, the non-white actor, uh, especially one who has that element of posthumousness
0: and deserving too. I mean, it wasn't like Chadwick Bozeman wasn't was you know given this honor was was you know nominated just because he passed away i mean you know he's nominated because of the performance he gave as well and a lot of people thought maybe you know because he did pass away he'd win or be it more of a shoe in but it just seems like you know we're going to get another one of these oh the academy's going to do better we're going to be more diverse we're going to bring in more diversity among our voters but I mean, does, do things like this really change? I, th- I think there was good momentum built with, you know, some of the people that were winning last night, but then when you get to these big awards, really
1: ended it all. Yes.
0: you know, these big awards go to these people. And again, it's nothing against Francis McDormand. I love Francis McDormand. I love Anthony Hopkins. They're, they're just great actors. They're well-deserving of all their, you know, accolades. But in these cases, it just seems like when there's an opportunity that knocks the academy has generally not answered the door, unfortunately, over the years.
1: Exactly, and this was quite possibly the the epitome of of that issue. Sure. Any this other is, things? This will, this will haunt them for a long time.
0: Right. Any other things stand out about the awards? Any uh, anything that you liked? Any any awards that surprised you, other than maybe some of the things that we had talked about?
1: No, they saved the one the one real shock for the end. <laughs> right.
0: And again, I, I think it was more of the Academy's doing. I mean, I know Steven Soderbergh's probably going to get a lot of flack, and they'll probably never want Steven Soderbergh to produce the the Oscars. I actually think that, in some ways, the production was a little bit quicker. It seemed like, even though it was taking forever, because the, the speeches were a little longer, and sometimes the the people presenting the awards were kind of drawing it out a little bit. But it actually went quicker. There, was, than it.
1: there wasn't much in the way of clip packages this year. I think that. Right. Um, Made things go a lot faster.
0: The other thing that I also wanted to touch on, too, maybe get your thoughts, is the In Memoriam is always very criticized. Oh, I forgot
1: about about that, yeah.
0: And in this this case, I I don't know about you, but this seemed like it went by – it seemed like they were playing – Everybody was saying that. Yeah, it seemed like they were putting it on, like, 2.0 speed on the video package. It just went by so quick. I don't know that they missed anybody this year, like they have in years past, but it seemed like it went so fast that you couldn't even like appreciate any of the actors that were being you know honored
1: the name i saw um brought up most as an omission was was alex trebek who cameoed as himself as a lot in a lot of movies and he'll,
0: okay.
1: get, he'll get plenty of tributes at the at the emmys so All i'm right. not too uh too upset about that
0: yeah it just but, seemed oh like my gosh, way
1: way too fast
0: yeah I mean, normally they draw it out, and and I don't know if it was because of time, if it was because they couldn't have the person singing live like they normally do. And also the music was a little strange. It sort of was upbeat and fast, and it didn't didn't really jive with what you're doing, which is honoring those that have passed in the past year. So it's kind of a strange choice of music as well as the speed.
1: I've heard that song um, associated with 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 funerals and celebrations of life in the past so the choice of that song in and of itself wasn't terrible okay but um but but just the speed of the of the uh the the photos was it stood, stood out as being ridiculous
0: all right. Well, any other final thoughts, Bob, on the Oscars? Uh, it was quite quite a lot to take in. But any any final thoughts? Uh, let's hope they do better next year. Well, there's always. I think that's the running joke. In no, the no, dis-
1: no disrespect to any specific winner, but right. they. Uh, I, I want to see them get back to normal. I want to see them maybe learn from some of the mistakes of this year.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think that's sort of the running joke in the Academy is there's always next year for, for improvement, but uh, it always comes and goes. So we'll no, see what happens.
1: Sadly, sadly, for for one individual, there won't be Right, there won't be next year.
0: Absolutely. All right, Bob. Well, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the Ohioan podcast. Uh, check out more content on theohioan.com. Thank you. Thank you very
1: much. This is the highlight of my week.
0: Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the
3: Ohioan here. And Man, I don't know much about comics. I'm not a big comic guy, but hey, as I said um, in a recent interview, I want to learn more about stuff. So uh, Craig tells me that if we want to learn about comics, the best person in the world to talk to is Chris Rupp from Rupp's Comics up in the Fremont area.
2: And Chris, welcome. How's it going? Well, thank you, Chris. I I appreciate being here, and thank you, Craig. And Chris, this Saturday is going to be the perfect time for you okay. to get into comic books because there's free ones for you.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well so- what type? What type? Well, well, before we get to Craig, sorry, you got um, me. You got my juices flowing now. Uh, <laughs> so, what what type of comic am I going to get if I go if I come on Saturday?
2: So Saturday is actually <clears throat> our free comic book day where we're going to celebrate the last twenty years of free comic book day. Uh, it started in two thousand two with I think six titles. Now, this time around, because of the pandemic, the official free comic book day has been delayed in August. So we're going to bring back everything from 2002 to 2020. You'll have almost 100 books to choose from, from stuff for all ages to mature to teenagers. We break them up into that G, PG, PG-13, R-rated, so it's really easy for parents and adults to uh, jump into figuring out books, and we're there to help with all that, too.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Chris. We we definitely appreciate it, and I, it's always <clears throat> great talking to you. Um, you know, one of the things that always strikes me about the free comic book day, especially how you run it, is you know these these books are always out there. You also have sales going on. You have so many different comics to choose from. You have the expensive comics that are high grade, you know, graded comics. You have the free comics. Every you know, one of the things that you really do is promote literacy among, com- you know, and comic books is sort of that bridge for you. But tell us a little bit about, you know, why free comic book day is so important for people and why you like to get out in the community and give out those free comics when, when you have the opportunity to.
2: So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, we do sales and all that. And there is a sale in conjunction with this. But in all honesty, all I care is that you come in, you try a comic book, you read, get the kids to no offense to reading on the phone, but to stop reading on the phone, take a break and enjoy a comic book To It's, I've always looked at it as anything I can do to get somebody to read, whether it's a comic or a book, doesn't matter to me. I just want you to read. And that was one of the things I grew up doing. as a kid is that I loved reading. My daughter loves reading and it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> I think she's correcting me on my English more than, than I like to admit. And, but yeah, it's, it's all about, just expanding that reach of not only the art form of comic books but as you said literacy and that cuz i think that is a very big thing in this world is that you know you, you need to not just read off the phone you need to take a break and let the mind work through
0: well i know uh you know going to the store and and seeing some of the free books that you've had over the years you know we're we're talking about some some high profile books too we're not talking about some generic book that, you know, distributors want to just get rid of. Tell us a little bit about some of the free books that, you know, maybe some of the characters or some of the popular, you know, things that people might see and think, wow, I can't believe that's free. Tell us a little bit about some of those books.
2: Yeah. We've got everything from every publisher. It's there's on an average year. There are 30 publishers, 40 publishers that participate in this. And it's everything from your Spider-Man's, your Batman's. To Power Rangers, to stuff you've never heard of but looks cool, and then there's there's everything that even gets into the book world. So there's stuff from the lit uh, from you know the latest hot novels that are being translated into comic books. Um, it's one of those things that everybody's always shocked sometimes when they hear this movie or TV show. It, it's a comic book, and that it's start. Umbrella Academy, as much as it's a superhero thing, it was a comic book first. You know, Lock and Key, which is, you know the season two's coming out later this year. Lock and Key is a comic book over 10 years ago. So it's like there's so many things that, that play into comic books that they don't even realize are from comic books.
0: Absolutely. It's a great way for people to kind of get sort of an origin story or just maybe mm-hmm. expand on their love for a show while you know getting a chance to read, like you said. Um, now, I know you're a big collector. You obviously sell books at the store. You have a humongous stockpile in the basement. You store comic books and other things in your warehouse. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to recently. Um, you know, has COVID slowed down your collecting and and being able to 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 buy? You know, you go to various parts of the country looking for books. You're always buying. That's sort of your motto. But mm-hmm. what have you been doing recently? And, and has that changed at all with
2: COVID? I'm, I'm still always buying.
0: <laughs> have you um, found anything? Any gems lately?
2: Oh my god! It's like in the last. Um... Six, I'd say since October, I've purchased uh, six major collections, over 60,000 books in total. Um, it, it had everything from first Captain America in there, Avengers number four, to, you know, the first Invincible, first Walking Dead. Uh, I bought one guy's entire He has every Star Wars book ever produced since 1977. Um, there's, you know, I bought an ASM-1 over the holidays. I'm sorry amazing spider-man one um there's yeah I mean the Avengers 4 which is first captain America is actually not only first captain America but the first time in 30 years that I've ever owned this book I'm sorry well 49 years actually but 30 years in business and it's just one of those things it was like it's a very low-grade copy but it's still first captain America in Avengers
0: Absolutely. Now, obviously, those are the key books as we as you may hear those those terminology in, in comic book world key books where first appearances, whatever it may be. Tell us the process though. Let's say you find a key book in a collection. What what's sort of the steps that you take? Maybe explain people the process that you take from you find the key book and then you go on and get it graded and so on and so forth to be either in your collection or be sold. So tell us a little bit about how that process works out when you find that key book in that collection.
2: Let's say when I and that's why when I go through collections, whether it's a hundred books, 10 books, or 10,000 books, I go through every single book in there because that one key book can change the value of the collection, you know, a hundred times. It's like you, I, I've gone through collections of thousands of books where it's books I value at a very, very low price. And then all of a sudden I hit one book that is a major key and I'm like, okay, this just went from me spending a couple hundred dollars to me spending a couple thousand dollars on buying this collection. And then we assess it and choose whether or not we're going to grade it and whether I'm going to sit it in my office or put it out for sale. (laughs) I'm putting more and more things in my office this day. I can tell you that much.
0: Tell tell us a little bit about how the grading process works on a book because I know people might see like, well, why is a key book $4,000 or $10,000 value? Tell, tell people how, how books are graded and, and how that makes a difference in the price that you can sell it for or how much it's just worth in general.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we have so many people that call us up and say, hey, I got these great books. They, they're brand new. They're straight off the shelf from, you know, like the 70s. I'm like, that sounds great. Let's bring them in and see them. And then I get them in and then I point out little details such as it's just like if you ever collected sports cards, it's you got You got to have the four corners. You're where instead of just the edge of the, the card, you have the comic book, which is the spine. And the spine, you have to look for defects in the spine, um, blemishes on the covers, stains. Um, there's so many factors that go into it that you just don't look at right away when you're not a, you know, somebody who grades comics. Um, it's just one of those, there's so many levels to it. You, you've got the corners, you've got the spine, you've got the cover itself. The interior has to be complete. Because um, back in the seventies, you had all these little cutouts that you would cut out and mail in, and I've had some books where there every single thing is cut out, and it's like this thing is not worth much of anything anymore.
0: Well, I know that we've talked about it. It might have been a couple of years ago when you, uh, I think you might have gotten either was it the first uh, Wolverine or maybe the first uh, Hulk, and you were talking about you you had other other books of it, the same book in different mm-hmm. values. Um, how much, you know, I know we the grading process goes zero to 10 in you know, 10 being mint, which is almost impossible these days. But, um, you know, how many what's sort of the, the the difference between maybe like a near mint grade versus maybe like those in between kind of mint grades on key books like, you know, maybe a first appearance of Wolverine or Hulk?
2: Yeah, like the the, the one you're talking about, the first appearance of Wolverine that I got, I actually still have uh and it was i mean i remember showing you and it was a really nice copy we sent it off and i got a 9.2 which is currently about a twenty thousand dollar book uh but something like say a 5.0 would be closer in the range of about five or six thousand dollars so still very
0: valuable, but certainly the better the quality, the better the more money. And I know that uh, you know when we've talked about this before too. Your collection is not always just your collection; it's always for sale. What's sort of the what's maybe the most impressive book you have right now that's for sale?
2: Oh wow! Um, for sale. See, that's that's the subjective word. Is for sale. <laughs> that um, wow, put me on the spot there. I, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think. There, there's there's so many great books right now. Uh, like we've been selling lots of John Walker because of okay. you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, that that's been a lot of the hot books. One key book. Wow.
0: Or anything in your collection stand out that maybe has a, a, a great value right now?
2: Well, I mean, that's that, I can go. There's a whole list of there. I've got the Amazing Spider-Man one. I've got a you know, the Hulk First Wolverine World by Night thirty two, which is first Moon Knight. Uh, the crazy part is there's so many, there's of the 60,000 books I bought, I would say over a thousand of them need to go to CGC. And I haven't touched them since I bought them. They're still sitting in the other warehouse on kids. Because I it, we've been so busy this past year, I haven't had time to do, you know, to go over there and do it. When I get like a thousand books in, I'll process that really quick. But when we've got 10,000 books, you know, I, I, the collections were all like 19,000, 12,000, 13,000. You know right. that that's like a commitment of a week or two. For right. some. I mean, I remember when you came out when I got those five skids back from LA. Right. And I have another skid being picked up on Wednesday that I don't even remember what's on it because I bought it five months ago.
1: <laughs>
3: Boy, awesome. that's, yeah. that's that's gonna be the next interview. <laughs> Craig's seeing the skids that come in, I was going to uh, try suggesting we could do a pawn stars type program where we can follow <laughs> you out to these comic book buying you know what i mean mm-hmm. well that'd be great we got the bonus content know, on the show
0: we just need gannett to foot the bill for it but we, yeah i mean i'd love to go on a buy with him i mean just it, it you would be in awe of seeing the basement of seeing the store in general but seeing his basement of stock and also the, the warehouse of stock it is just incredible to see okay. that much out there not just books but figurines and statues yeah. and other things just I mean, when Chris says he buys, he's always buying. He is always buying, and he's got quite the, the surplus of collection.
2: Yeah, there's there's over a million books down in our warehouse, yep. and they're all alphabetical. Wow. We have one guy, his sole job is to keep it all in order. Yep.
3: Yeah. Wow. Uh, that sounds like a tough job. I'm not sure how you could do that, so <laughs> should be good. Well, Chris Rupp, Rupp's Comics.
2: Uh, Chris, how early can we come before we're in the Fremont area on Saturday? Saturday, it goes from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can pick all okay. free comics, your choice, no purchase necessary. You literally can walk in, pick five books out you want, and leave. Okay. I I don't judge. I don't do anything. I'm just glad that you're trying them out.
3: Okay. So, and it's a bin of comics, right? I can't go buy your, get your most expensive comic, right? No, it's like exactly. a bin you can go for free. There, okay.
2: There are comics specifically produced for free comic book day and that, and, a lot of them are all original, and they're just they're launching books with those things. And this is our opportunity to we're going to pull out the last twenty years worth of free Comic Book Day books and offer them up for the first time in, well, nine you know one year to nineteen years. But we got to get there early, right? I mean, if I'm coming it at four thirty,
3: <laughs> yeah, I may
2: be out of luck, right? Yeah, <clears throat> on normal ones, we usually run out of probably fifty, sixty percent of the books by one o'clock.
3: Okay. So get there early, and if I'm not near Fremont, and if I'm saying, "Well, where else can I go?" Is there like a website I could check, or someplace I could check for the free comic guy closest to me?
2: Yes, there's. So a lot of stores are doing some sort of free comic book day event this sat, or this coming Saturday because it is first Saturday in May, which is advertised. Because okay. of the pandemic, the official 2021 Free Comic Book Day is not till August 14th. So, oh, okay. I know I'm I'm I, I'm creating confusion by sort by of a, an
0: advanced free sale to the free sale.
2: Oh, okay. This is this is your chance to get free comic book days from the last twenty years instead oh. of a normal free comic book day, which will be all new original books for sixty. There's like sixty different ones to choose from.
3: Okay, so if I want free comic book day
2: this Saturday, yes. I'm just coming to see you then, right? Me, and I do know of some friends that are also doing it. Uh, I'm, I know Pack down in Columbus is okay. doing something. Um, I'm pretty – I don't know. If, I'm trying to think of other ones in the Ohio area and that. And uh, But just check with your local store. If not, August 14th, every store in the country will be uh, doing free comic book day. And there's a freecomicbookday.com website. Yes,
3: I was just going to mention that. So, yeah, <laughs> check that out. Uh, give Chris a call. And, Chris, what a great reason. We need to have you back on again to talk about comics. I got questions about comics and movies. It's going to be a big thing. Oh, well, if Greg has
2: that. talked about me at all, it's like we, whenever he interviews me, I'm like, we, we'll, like, talk maybe 20 minutes of the interview and an hour and a half of movies, TV shows. Oh, man, podcasts. how exciting.
0: You get lost. You get lost yeah. there with them. I'm telling you, it's it's a great experience. Any anybody that can should go to Fremont to see the store and talk. It's a, it's a great it's a great experience. Well, thank, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm just gonna say, Chris, thanks for your time. Yeah. We will have you
3: back on soon. Awesome. There's so many more questions I have for you, but <laughs> uh, our time's short today. But thanks, Chris. Hang out for a second afterwards, and everyone else, thanks for checking out the and Have a great day. Back here on Ohio, and, and Craig, the news has been depressing. I can name at least one story that's really been sad, not just as what we do as journalists, but really affected me personally. But you know what, Craig? There are some other stories that make me really happy. Um, it sounds weird, but, you know, like I've said this in the past, just as a tough joke, I fall in love with the news story. I want to marry a news story. Well, if I had to propose a new story today, it would be the story from Brand Eating, talking about how Stouffer's, and I'm not a big Stouffer's guy, I'm not anti-Stouffer's, I'm not pro-Stouffer's, they're releasing a combination mac and cheese lasagna. So two of my favorite foods coming together, I guess it's only going to be available online only, but man, Craig, I, I don't know I, are you a fan of lasagna and Mac and cheese by itself? and are you excited about this?
0: I'm, I'm a big fan of both by themselves. I am not interested in a combination of lasagna and Mac. Mm. Uh, and here's why. I am a I am sort of a, uh, a divided eater where I do not <laughs> like a lot of things together. Uh, now I'll mix some vegetables in with something or whatever it may be, or or, or taking a, a singular bite of like a a vegetable and like a potato or something is fine with me. But I guess where I kind of draw the line would be with macaroni and cheese and red sauce. I don't think that's a good oh. combination. And essentially, that's what you'd be getting. Now I know you might say, well, what if you what if you go to a potluck and these two items are there separately? And you put them on your plate and maybe they, they kind of come together a little bit in a touching situation. That might be a little bit more of one thing. But eating them together, not really my cup of tea. I'm not I, – I macaroni and cheese, I don't put, like, ketchup on it like some people do. I don't put – you know, I don't want red sauce or, you know, anything like that on it. If meat gets into it, then that's fine. But I'm a no-go on the red sauce mixing in with the macaroni and cheese. That's just is not my thing. Are you a sauce guy, or is it? I'm it's not that I'm not a sauce guy. It's just I don't macaroni, if it, if it was just macaroni, if you had plain macaroni and you put red sauce on it, then fine. But when you already have the cheese on it, it's 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 that. That's what it is. It's macaroni and cheese. It's not, hey, let's put some red sauce on macaroni and cheese or anything like that. The only thing that I've ever really done with macaroni and cheese is what I've made. Um, either like a barbecued pulled pork or pulled chicken, and I'll put it on mm. my macaroni and cheese, and the barbecue sauce will sort of mix in with the mac and cheese, and that's kind of an interesting combination. But no on the red sauce. Red sauce to me does not – that's just me, though. Red sauce to me does not match with a macaroni and cheese. Just not my style. Here's what I hate about this sauce. I – I used to
3: be okay with sauce. I used to be okay with putting more sauce on. I My family started to go, is there a Fazoli's up in your neck of the woods? Yeah. Okay. My family used to be really into Fazoli's. It was a way that you can get a decent meal. I mean, it wasn't spectacular food, but, you know, it, it was better than going McDonald's. So, you know, we go out to the after Sunday church. Uh, there was a Fazoli's near church. We'd go there. It was all good and everything. I started to dislike Fazoli's. I'm like, man, I I like Italian food. Why is this? Have you ever noticed that Fazoli's, they cake the sauce on your... I mean, hey, sauce is sauce. That's okay. But they're pouring it on and everything. I'll eat a Fazoli's meal. I'm kind of like, why is my mouth feeling all saucy? You know, and it's because the sauce is just all over. It's maybe that sauce is cheaper than the macaroni or the meals they use, but it's just they use that a ton. And I, I've gotten to the place, Craig, and you may disagree with this, but when my wife makes spaghetti or anything that we're pouring the sauce on, I'm pouring very little on it. And she's like, you're eating dry spaghetti. I'm like, I still have that taste from years of fazolis coming in my mouth and I don't like it anymore. And uh, do you agree with this? She said, well, that's your vegetables with the stuff like tomato and everything. So she's like, you're really not eating your, your vegetables if you don't eat the sauce. Now, I don't know. I mean, we argue about that. Maybe she's a little bit too – is that too much to say, I guess?
0: Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a sauce guy. I like sauce on my – like if we make spaghetti or whatever it may be. I'm more of a you can coat it but i don't like you said i don't like it kicked on i don't want it swimming oh yeah your your pasta or your pizza whatever has sauce on it should never ever be swimming in it like and yeah. i mean where the sauce is more than just coating the noodle like yeah. there are some people that you know the way the way my wife i i love the way my wife makes spaghetti and i never thought about this before but she actually would make the spaghetti and pour the sauce in and then mix it together so you would mm. coat the noodles and you wouldn't, you know, have like the moat of sauce. It would be coated and then you could eat it like that. Whereas okay. some, people, some people take That's the fried pasta, put it on the plate, and then pour the sauce over top, which is yeah. perfectly fine. Some people do that, which is fine. I like the the way that my wife does it. I, and I started doing that myself when I make it. So, um, but I don't want, sauce to just be i don't want there to be like swimming in sauce i don't like my i don't like pizza that has too much sauce i'd rather go lighter yeah. on the sauce because you, you don't want to bite into pizza and have sauce explode like oh, yeah. i hate i hate when that happens it's like yeah. i want a small little layer of sauce where you can taste it and you get it but i don't want to bite into a piece of pizza that have the sauce just explode out the sides or if you're a, a pizza folder and it comes out the end, or comes out the bottom if the crust breaks. I don't like that at all. So I think I'm with you on the sauce thing. Um, and yeah, sometimes you can have sort of those jarring experiences at a restaurant or something where it makes you change. The, like you know, I used to love my mom used to make tuna noodles where you know you make like egg noodles, you put some tuna in it, like cream of mushroom, and mix yeah. it together and make it like a almost like a casserole. And then one time she put like way too much tuna in. It was like big chunks of tuna, like big, big pieces of it. And ever since then, I couldn't, I can't eat it anymore. And I used to love it, but I can't eat it anymore. So it, um, you know, sometimes you just have a bad experience with food and, you know, it just, you don't like the texture of it or you don't like the the mouth feel and you got to get away from it. And I can, I can see where you're coming from with the sauce thing and it's better to have little and you can add more than have too much. And then what do you got to do? You got to like move it around the plate and try to push it aside or whatever, you know, whatever you got to do.
3: Well, and we eat out a little bit more than we should just based on schedules. And
0: right.
3: uh, You know, when my wife has, you know, projects, it's hard to kind of have her make supper and then work on projects and everything. Uh, You know, my 14 year old is picky. He doesn't want to go to that many places. And my daughter, we're about ready to swear off as always, but my daughter loves it. You know, spaghetti and, you know, fettuccine, mm-hmm. she likes that combination. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very strange. I don't know. What's up what you think about that? Um, I I don't know. I guess to conclude our discussion about the stofers. yeah, selfishly it sounds good, but why not just get a macaroni and cheese meal and a lasagna meal, and eat half of each. <laughs> I mean, you get the same thing. I guess it's not baked in together. And I'm with you. I'm a little curious what that baked in together and the taste would be like.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like the macaroni and cheese is going to get lost in all of this. Like Probably. the photo, the photo they show makes it seem like there's a a healthy layer of it, but I kind of wonder. We, we always look at, you know, food food photos always look better than what they actually yes. are. And I get the sense that because this is a lasagna and it looks like there is just a ton of red sauce underneath the, the bottom layer, I kind of feel like that's going to be pressed down a lot more. And you're not even going to know that the mac and cheese is even there maybe. And, I mean, it, hopefully it is. But, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder if you're even going to notice the macaroni and cheese and it's gonna get overpowered by all the lasagna red sauce that's going on in it.
3: Well, you know, a lot of people are going to the office back to the office sometime this summer. You know your work microwave is not gonna it's you're right, it's not gonna look like that no. after you get your work microwave. It's gonna look gross. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Well, we just lost our Stoffer's endorsement deal, but hey, it's okay. <laughs> Prove us wrong. Send yeah. us some. It'll be good. So, All right. Thanks for checking out to Highland. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what food storage we could talk about. We're always up for food. As you can tell, I've eaten some food in my life, so let us know. We'll be glad to talk about it. Uh, we'll be back soon with another segment. All right, Craig, back here on the Ohio, and, and you know I'm 46, Craig. I think I'm experiencing some midlife crisis because I look at last year and with um and maybe it's COVID. You know, we're all coping with COVID in different ways, but you know I got in this big um I, I got this big cornhole kick. I almost forgot what I got the kick about, but you know my wife bought me a cornhole set. I still like Cornhole. I want to play it, but the weather's getting nice. I haven't pulled out my Cornhole save yet. Maybe that's something I need to do tonight. You know, we usually have the kids out in the backyard you know, jumping on a trampoline. Maybe I can bring out my Cornhole sink, whole But you know, I, I, I'm interested in Cornhole. I've got interest in other stuff. And then what was this? Um, we started our daily part of this podcast in January. And there was a week where, my goodness, we had multiple segments a day on Twitch. And we have a Twitch account. And I'll be honest, if you're out there going, yeah, where has these guys been on Twitch? Uh, we're getting more guests, which is great. and That's where we wanted to be. But our guests at 645 don't want to be on camera. Uh, they're a little bit concerned about, hey, you know, so a woman. They're like, hey, uh, you know, I, I got bed head going on. Maybe I'll have my makeup on or whatever. Um, me, I just crawl a bed and turn the camera on. But I can see for women it might be a different thing. So because of that, it's been harder for us to go on Twitch. I don't know. Maybe we could try it without cameras, Craig. I don't know. i got to look up Twitch and see what we're allowed to do and what we're not. But so we haven't talked about Twitch for a while. But, Craig, I was interested. This made some news. Um, There's a new leader in who has the most Twitch followers. I didn't know that that was a record or a category. (laughs) And, Craig, I would – I would love to quiz you and say, do you know who this person is? You may have looked at the story already. If you didn't look at the story, you probably wouldn't have guessed in a million years. This is this guy no, named no. Ludwig Agrin, And I'd never heard of him. Have you heard of this guy before? No, never. Yeah,
0: never, never, heard heard of him. Of him. never heard of him.
3: Okay. Well, I thought it would be like some like movie star or somebody. Or like like on Twitter, you look at who has the the most followers. Um, you know, President Trump, I think, had... One of the most, and I think LeBron has a lot of Twitter followers. Well, when you look at Twitter, you say, okay, it's a former president. Or, okay, it's a famous basketball player. You would think that maybe somebody with some name recognition would have the most Twitch followers. Now, I can't believe LeBron's on Twitch a lot or (laughs) some of these other guys. But, yeah, if (laughs) LeBron just started a burner Twitch account, I'm sure a lot of people would follow that. But this guy, I was surprised. I know Twitch isn't as big of a thing. But this guy has two over 270,000 subscribers. You would think the guy with the most number of Twitch followers, it would be more than 270,000. That kind of surprised me. Well,
0: well you, know, yeah. you know, I think with I think, Twitch, too, when you subscribe, if I'm not mistaken, you have to pay to subscribe to that person's page. Um, oh, I, don't really? Really know, I don't know a ton about Twitch, but I do know that I tried to, like, there's this guy that you know has um, a Twitch on NHL 21. So I thought, oh well, I'll follow him. And when I click subscribe, it was like five dollars or five ninety nine, and I'm like, whoa! I don't really want to pay for it. I, I just want to, you know, maybe be. Is, a is that per month? I don't know if it was per month or not. But even if it wasn't per month, it's not worth. I'm not going to pay money to. I just wanted to, you know, maybe get alerts for when videos were posted or. Whatever. I don't know exactly what goes into the the subscription base, but you know, it just when I clicked on it, I thought, well, this isn't like face, you know, YouTube where you could subscribe to someone's channel, which I can subscribe to that guy's channel, so I don't have to really worry too much about it on YouTube. But um, yeah, so Twitch, I, I think getting two hundred and seventy thousand subscribers is actually really nice. Really, a really big number because of, of how they do things. And I also too, you know. <clears throat> Twitch isn't necessarily like YouTube, where you have other videos out there on YouTube where you could just watch a, a guy playing video games and then the next minute you could watch someone, you know, working out or whatever. So, you know, Twitch is a very niche market. So I think having about 270 subscribers is actually pretty nice.
3: Yeah, I wonder, is, is this guy a paid account? This Ludwig dude? I think he
0: might be. I'm gonna. I might try to get on get on there and look him up actually, because. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious about it, um, but yeah, you know, like I said, you know, I tried yesterday to, because I was I was just on there just kind of randomly. I don't get on all the time, but I was on there. And I thought, well, you know, I'll get on there and and see what's going on, and I watched a video and, or I guess it was more of a live stream. Um, but when I hit the, when I try to hit subscribe, it wanted me to pay for it. I'm like, well, I just I can't justify paying to watch someone play a game. Um, so I just decided to to kind of forget that. But
3: okay. well, here's the interesting thing, Craig. It, 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 we have to correct ourselves a little bit. I realized this with uh, Twitch. So there's two different things you could do. You could follow somebody on Twitch. Okay. So you could be alerted to their videos and everything. But it's kind of like you know we have here with Gannett. there's like a paywall. so apparently either you can either put all your videos behind this paywall or some of your videos behind the paywall. okay it's not, I clicked on the Ludwig page. you can follow him and he actually has 2.7 million followers okay but the subscribers the paid ones, he has over 270,000. So get this and I'm seeing a Ludwig it's 499 per month and renews monthly. Okay. Now, he just did this portion last month or so, but do the math, Craig. Two hundred seventy thousand subscribers at four ninety nine a month.
0: Yeah, he's doing, he's doing over
3: a million he, last month.
0: Yeah, he, he's doing he, he's doing really well for himself. I mean, wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, wow.
1: Well, you know, no.
3: I've read that. He is donating at least some of the money to chair, which is fine. And look, hey, we're, we're all trying to be businessmen. I mean, you know, if people would subscribe to the Ohioan on Twitch, maybe we should do that. Maybe that could be our money making uh, <laughs> right. source. But I, but no, it's it just it's interesting just to see. Um, here's why I don't get about Twitch, and the main part of it is you're watching somebody play a video games. So, yeah, you might want to pick up tips. i got to be honest, when the new Madden football game comes out, sometimes I we'll go to Twitch, not to, I'll watch a couple minutes. I'll even have the volume down because I just want to see what the graphics look like or see what the animations look like or anything. But, right. again, that's me participating at five minutes at a time. And I, I couldn't tell you what I was watching. I just typed in Madden. First thing that came up, I go quick. You know? It could have been my video from the past. I, I don't know what the case is. Here's what kind of gets a little bit scary, in my opinion. As you said, it's not just for video games. You can just live stream yourself doing different things. Now, again, this Ludwig, you know, he's doing it for charity. He's having some fun with it. Just because you're live streaming doesn't mean you're doing necessarily bad things. But get this. He had a marathon, which Twitch followers call a -a subathon, where you play video games, cook, chatted, and slept. Uh, He's saying, um, you know, he thought he only streamed for 24 hours nonstop. He may do it for 48, but he kept on doing it, and I think he did for more of a month. Yeah, it it was almost a month, and again, you know, it showed him sleeping, so I mean, he was being healthy. It wasn't like he tried to stay awake. I don't know, Craig. I mean, hey, we go on live for an hour Monday through Thursday, so in essence, we're live streaming ourselves, but it's just us sitting there talking. Man, I get a little creeped out if my wife or kid wanted to be on Twitch. You can live stream your kid or your wife twenty-four hours. Yeah, I'm not even saying they're even doing anything, you know, bad. I mean, it's not like they're a cam girl or whatever, but still, that I don't know. I don't know if I like that twenty-four hour thing, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you certainly lose a lot of privacy. This guy obviously doesn't mind doing this, and you know, I think I don't think anybody would care what I do in a 24-hour period, or even what you would do. I think a lot of it is, you know, these a lot of these people, and I I will say this too about the uh, the subscription stuff to Twitch. Um, you know, I, I actually <clears throat> watched an HBO Sports uh, show that kind of talked a little bit about video gamers and stuff, and a lot of these kids make make a lot of hay by teaching kids how to play video games so they're coaches for people who are entering tournaments things like that and maybe that this is part of it where you know you can charge this one kid charge like 75 dollars an hour for to to be a coach for video games and maybe they look at this you know twitch stuff as being i can subscribe for five dollars a month and watch this guy play and he's probably gonna spoil some of the you know, the harder things and say, this is how you should beat this game or this is how you should beat, you know, this part of the game. So they probably look at it as more of an educational thing that they, they, they can then apply to if they're video game, you know, savants as well, that maybe they, they enter tournaments for cash prizes and maybe that's what they look at this like.
3: Have you ever done this? I, I actually bought a microphone and we talked about it. I have a couple of Twitch videos up of me talking there. The amateurs at best. But you know, you have you ever done the online gaming where you know you put in a Madden game or a hockey game and you can actually play against different people. Man, that's one of the scariest things in the world. Have you ever done that?
0: I have, but I have to admit, I'm I'm kind of a boring video gamer. I play sports video games primarily, but there was there was times where I would play uh way back when, probably to the PlayStation 3 era. I would play online a little bit. This was before they had the PlayStation Plus stuff and all that, um, where you had to pay to play online. So there were times where I did play online. I never got on the microphone. I never really had a microphone. I didn't talk trash. I would hear people, you know, but I never really got online and talked trash, whether it's playing a game or playing a a fighting game or whatever. It may be a war game or whatever. Uh, But, yeah, you you definitely – I've heard many times where people, you know, get on there and it's it's pretty bad, but no, I, it's been a while since I've done it, and when I did it, it wasn't I wasn't talking trash because I didn't have a microphone on. I was just listening in to what they were saying.
3: Well, and and people get really on you. I mean, they do. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, I thought, man, what would it look like? Because if you're playing like a hockey game by yourself, you're controlling the person with the puck, if you, or you're controlling one person on defense. And that's it. You can switch off and everything. But a lot of times, you let the computer control the goalie. So it's pretty much computer controlled. Right. But I, I got this kick once where I said, man, it would be fun go into a room where there's 12 different hockey gamers out there. So everybody controls their own game person. On, you, you know what I mean? Right. So there's no computer controlled so I'm just controlling the goalie and everything else, so I put myself on defense. And I'm just having fun, just going, shooting the puck, passing everything else. But man, people were yelling at me because they're like, <laughs> "You're not controlling your zone in hockey."
0: Right.
3: So they wanted you to play like if you were playing NHL hockey. Right. I'm, like, I, you know, I'm a fan, but I, I don't know, you know, left defenseman techniques or what zone you should cover or everything else, and it just. I mean, it's not just the people who get mad if you don't play well. You know, people are, you, you know, I guess you expect to study the, the rule book or, you know, look at techniques and everything. Yeah. Maybe I should have called my guy, John Tortorella, and said, hey, John, <laughs> I'm playing this online game. How should I play left-wing? It just yeah. it's
0: crazy. They take it very seriously. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they want you to play the right way. They don't want you to just go, <laughs> go out there and go rogue and have fun. You know, they want you to like play strategic hockey on there, which is, you know, kind of like. Well, I guess for some people they they want they want the, they want it that way because you win, you know, you know, cards and things like that, where you can you know make your team better and things are online, so they don't want to lose, and obviously they don't want the shame of losing anyway. So, yeah, I guess uh, I guess you learned your lesson there, huh?
3: But it's an online video game. I mean, yeah, you are probably playing with some kids too, but the older you get, it's an online video game. I mean, it's not right. You know, be lucky you have that time to do that and probably shame yourself because you're probably like, What things didn't I do that were more productive than doing that? (laughs) Right. But if you're that, I mean, just enjoy the time you have. And if you want to take it seriously, take it seriously, but stop yelling at people. My goodness, it doesn't matter if you win or lose or whatever. It's just, I don't know, just crazy times. (laughs) I think we're just too old for Twitch. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I'll see. Hey, I'm wondering if there would be a make sense if we if we go on Twitch. I mean, I, I guess we could go on if our guest is one beyond. They'll just turn their camera off, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's possible. You know, they can do that. Okay, I'll have
3: to talk to somebody about that. Well, again, thanks for checking out the show. Uh, Craig and I are here each morning. We are releasing three segments each morning. and We may change it. We might make it four. We're trying to have a more cohesive show. As you notice, we had shows over the weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, so, yeah, keep checking us out. Uh, yeah, check out the segments that Craig and I do. We also have extra segments. Craig this morning is talking to his friend, Bob Garber. Um, well, our friend, not just his friend. How dare I say just a friend. He's <laughs> all of our friends, Bob Garber, We're going to talk about some movies uh, with with Bob. Uh, Craig's got another review segment. I saw you did one over the weekend. I haven't had a chance to process it yet, but I'm looking forward to that. And um, I also do, I I feel like it's my other family. Like, you know, I'm living in two families. I'm living in a family with Craig and Brandon, and I have my separate family with Joe and Paul. (laughs) But I also do podcasts with them. Check out if you like the Pittsburgh Steelers, we're going to talk about the Steelers. We got a couple of football stories for fun that we'll talk about. And then we're expected to have a discussion about the great movie, Birdemic Shock and Terror, which is a was described as the fifth worst movie of all time. I don't want to jinx it, but one of the stars of the movie is expected to come on today uh, to talk about her role in Birdemic Shock and Terror. I told Craig, uh, I'm off Mondays. I over Tuesday for Saturday. Craig has a traditional Monday for fr- Friday. But I said, Craig, look at your vacation schedule. <laughs> Take today off. You got to be part of it. And Craig said, I got to support a family. I said, ah, what? <laughs> Enough of that. You're you're overrated. But no, it, it's fine. But Craig, you'll have to check that one out. I'll let you know when that goes up. So definitely sounds good. Well, thanks for checking out the Ohioan. Um, Shortly, we'll be back for another segment. Have a great day.
1: Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley.
3: Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun.